0: I need he said to come to my house and just put me to bed at night and sit there by my bed and put me to sleep. So good. Well, last week we talked about how healthy relationships within the body of Christ is ultimately what overwhelms divisive distractions in the church. You may remember us using that illustration of trying to stop those noisy maracas, it was like trying to play the whack-a-mole game, right? As soon as you get one stopped, another one starts up. So instead of focusing on the noisy minority, Paul tells Titus to empower the majority within the church, knowing that healthy relationships is what promotes sound doctrine. Christ-like community guards the truth of God's Word. You see, the body of Christ must be empowered to live out the gospel in everyday life. As I mentioned last week, more important than anything I might say on a Sunday morning is what you do with what you hear. Taking God's word and and, and letting it invade your everyday conversations. Unpacking the truths and trying to understand how they apply to, to everyday life. Last week we talked about how important that is, as older women invest in the lives of younger women. This morning we'll see it as, as older men invest in the lives of, of younger men. It's the ripple effect of relationships. Where sound doctrine is protected and promoted from one generation to the next. Before we look at that together, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, as we come to you this morning, uh, would you help us dismiss any distractions? Would you overwhelm us with the goodness of your truth? Would it speak to our hearts in ways that change the way we live everyday life? Would you shape us to be the men and women that you called us to be? We pray this in your name. Amen. So Turn to Titus chapter 2 and we'll look at verse 2 together last week Paul spoke to uh, older women and younger women this morning he'll start with the older men in verse 2 and he says older men are to be temperate dignified sensible sound in faith in love in perseverance paul turns to older women or older men first just as he did last week when he Turn to older women. And I want you to notice that in either case, he doesn't try to convince them how important their influence is. Their influence is inevitable. They can't avoid it. So what Paul's trying to do is trying to make sure they have the right kind of influence on the younger generation. So he says, older men, be temperate, dignified, and sensible. What Paul is describing here in in my mind is, is a balanced life that comes from life experience. Being temperate is someone who's, who's sober-minded. They avoid emotional extremes. Unlike younger men, and I once was one of those, and still am, depending on what category you're going to look at, but nonetheless, I know that when I was younger, I could be very impulsive. I could be very unpredictable. And, and Paul looks at older men and says, you need to be thoughtful. You need to be discipline. Their life is is intended to, to kind of give perspective to the younger generation. That generation that all of us lived in at one time, we were all once the younger generation. And in that time, we felt like money was the answer to all of life's problems. We looked at success and felt like that's how we proved our significance. And all of us, when we were younger, Looked at the older generation as those who were uninformed. They were out of touch. But then we got older and realized that wasn't necessarily true. Reminds me of the quote from Mark Twain talking about his dad. He said, when I was a boy of 14, my father was so ignorant, I could hardly stand to be in the room with the old man. He said, but when I turned 21, I was astonished with how much he had learned in the last seven years whether they realize it or not, younger men need the voice of experience in their life. They need the perspective that money doesn't bring happiness, that significance is not found in success. In fact, success of- often requires sacrifices in family and in marriage. It's just simply not worth the price. As they share their insight, older men are called to be Dignified and sensible as they do. Instead of trying to impress people, they want to just help younger men learn how to navigate life well. They're patient, they're discerning, they're trustworthy in their counsel. They have important insight to offer, but that doesn't necessarily mean they have all the answers to life's questions. You may remember last week when Macy and Abby were talking about the relationship that they had with Miss Courtney and how they came to an older woman looking for answers that they didn't possess on their own. But instead of finding all those answers, they were surprised to find something different than they had expected. Instead of finding a list of answers, they learned to discover truth on their own. Mrs. Courtney didn't have all the answers. She just knew where to go to find them. Instead of finding answers, they found a friendship. A friendship that far exceeded any of their expectations. They ended up finding answers to questions they weren't even asking. Paul says that older men should invest in the same way. They should be sound in faith, sound in love sound and perseverance this idea of being sound means that they have stability in the midst of life's uncertainties they don't let go of faith even in the midst of doubt they don't let go of love even in the midst of hurt they run the race with endurance fixing their eyes on Jesus the author and perfecter of their faith he's an enduring faith an enduring love an uncompromising perseverance Paul says older men need to have these qualities he's describing men who finish well they hit the tape running They're men like mr. Dick Courtney who just a matter of weeks before he went to see the Lord was leading a Bible study in a coffee shop that's what Paul is talking about here these are men who don't live a perfect life they don't necessarily have all the answers But here's what they do have. They have a teachable heart. And they learn and are in the process of still learning to navigate life by faithfully following Christ. And then pouring out into others things that they are learning as they walk in obedience to Him. It's the ripple effect of relationships. Sound doctrine being passed down from one generation to the next. Look at how he continues in verse 6. It says, Likewise, urge the young men to be sensible in all things, showing yourself to be an example of good deeds, with purity and doctrine, dignified, sound in speech, which is beyond reproach. Now, the first thing I want to highlight here before we move on is that this idea, this character quality of being sensible, if you look at our passage, you'll find that Paul mentions that into, in every category he speaks to. Older men, older women, younger women, and now here with younger men. Except when he introduces it here with younger men, there's, there's more urgency. In fact, he uses the word, urge younger men to be sensible. It's as if this particular category really needs to hear this message. Being sensible is someone who is, has self-control. They avoid the excessive influence of passion, of lust, of emotion. It's a quality that ultimately sets them apart from the world around them because the world knows nothing about self-control. The world is the place where everyone does what is right in their own eyes. It's the attitude, if you can, well, then you should. You do you. You see, the absence of self-control is ultimately... Slavery to selfish desires. Now I want you to hear me on this. The only way, the only way for a young man to have self-control is if he is spirit-led. Self-control is a fruit of the spirit. It is not something you can accomplish through self-determination. Apart from Christ, we are slaves to sin. And I don't care how hard you try, you cannot overcome the curse of sin. Paul says we have all sin, and we all were enslaved by the lust of the flesh, the sinful desires of, of indulging in the flesh. He says that we were all enslaved by the influence of Satan in our lives. And the only possible way that we can be set free from selfish desires, is if we surrender our hearts to Jesus Christ. It's a transfer of allegiance from the ruler of this world to the rule of God. Instead of doing what we want, we do what he says, because we trust him more than we trust ourselves. Only then can we walk in faithful obedience and break free from selfish desires. Not self-determination, but sincere and complete surrender. And not just once, <laughs> over and over again. What we'll find is that God ultimately guides us to the goodness built into His design. He creates us for for good works. He, He creates those good works ahead of time so that as we follow Him, He leads us right in the middle of them so that they become a part of our everyday life. Obedience is not a burden when we understand what God has called us to. It's ultimately where we find life as God intended for us to experience. Not only is it a protection from harm, Does it provide boundaries for us? Those boundaries are for our good. And it's also a pathway that leads us to the the blessing that he intends for those who trust him and follow him. Paul knows that this is a truth that you can speak to all the day long. But more important than what you say is how you live. And actually in the passage, he turns from talking to, to young men in general to now including Titus as one of those young men. If you'll look at verse 7 again, he says, show yourself, speaking about Titus, along with the other young men, to be an example of good deeds, with purity and doctrine, dignified, sound in speech, which is beyond reproach. Paul is asking Titus to lead by example, especially among his peer group of other young men like him, knowing that Pure doctrine is not just taught. It has to be lived out. It's faith that's, that's put on display. The word for purity here means untainted. And so what Paul is describing is a life of integrity that gives credibility to the message that you speak. It's consistent character. At home, at school, at work church. You're the same person no matter what people you are around. Now, what this tells us is that when when Titus is called to teach, he doesn't need to embellish the truth in order to try and impress people. He doesn't need to add anything to it in order to sound a little better, nor does he need to avoid hard subjects to make it easier for himself. Instead, just preach the word. Just just teach the truth. And then go and practice what you preach. I love this quote that I ran across uh, from John Piper this week. He says, our main task in reading the Bible is not to make profound insights or even to understand every single verse. But instead, our main goal is to enjoy God more. That's not only true in how we read the Bible, But I think it's ultimately true in how we teach the Bible, too. The best way to teach the truth is to show it in how you live that truth out. Piper's also the one who says God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. Paul closes by encouraging Titus and the other young men to be above reproach. Now, we talked about that quality when we discussed the qualities of elder, and we face the reality that this is not somebody who leaves a, leads a, a perfect life. It's not a, a person who doesn't make mistakes. Instead, this is someone who admits those mistakes when they're made. They're quick to repent, not just once, but over and over again. I've become convinced that the most important character quality that you and I can possess, whether you're a an older man or an older woman, a younger man or a younger woman, the most important character quality that we can possess is this, a teachable heart, a humble and teachable heart. Younger men should seek the insight of older men. They should have a heart that is inclined to learn. Not to assume that they've got it all figured out. Because I'll tell you right now, having been a young man, if that's what you think, then you're deceiving yourself. Whether you're a younger man or an older man, the same would be true. We are lifetime learners. We are called to have a teachable heart, continuing to grow and learn, and then to spill that over into the lives of others. Paul is encouraging Titus and other young men to be people of spiritual integrity. Men whose actions align with their confession. Men who strive to be consistent in their character no matter who they are around. That consistency is ultimately what will silence the opponents. Look at what it says on the second part of verse 8. In order that the opponent may be put to shame, having nothing bad to say about us. Now, There are a couple of things that caught my eye as I looked at this passage for the first time. One of them is, did you notice that Paul says, having nothing bad to say about us? Us. Our personal reputation has an impact on the body of Christ. So much so that how Titus conducts himself in Crete has an impact on the reputation of Paul in another part of the world. When it comes to Christian community, there is no such thing as this will only affect me. Hypocrisy has a much bigger blast radius than just our own selves. It affects us. And more importantly, it affects Him. That's why Jesus could say in the Gospels that when they see your good works, they will glorify your Father who is in heaven. And we need to understand the very opposite is also true. The world is watching. And how we live says something about who we serve. A life that honors God is ultimately what silences the opponents. Paul says, putting them to shame, having nothing bad to say about us. Now, If you think back to the opponents that Paul has already referenced in our passages in earlier Sundays, you'll know that that those opponents are the ones that were being characterized as professing one thing, saying they believe one thing, and then practicing something different. In the previous chapter, it says, they profess to know God, but by their deeds, they deny Him. So their inconsistency discredits their message. What Paul is saying here is exactly the opposite. It's the consistency in your life that validates your commitment. Opponents are those who are trying to discredit your character. I mean, if you just think about a typical election year, you get a perfect example of what that looks like. I somehow promote myself by discrediting my opponent. Instead of talking about me, I, talk, I tell you about why you shouldn't vote for them. I highlight their mistakes, their moral failure, their inconsistencies. Paul tells tells Titus, no, do not get caught up in that mud slinging war. Instead of fighting with words, let your conduct speak for itself. It's not your job to discredit other people. Don't justify your actions by making other people look bad. Do what's right. Because it's the right thing to do, Titus. See, people form their opinions ultimately on the pattern of your life. Not only in your desire to do what is right, but in the evidence of your repentance when you do what is wrong. It's hard to accuse someone. Listen to this. It's hard to accuse someone when they're willing to admit when they make a mistake. So Titus... Be humble, be teachable, be a man of integrity who leads by example, because your actions speak louder than your words. Now, last week, I gave you a practical example of what that looks like in the life of our church family. We were able to hear from Macy and Abby and Miss Courtney, and I want to do that again this morning. And as you listen to the testimonies this morning, I want you to Consider the breadth of generations being represented. You're going to hear really at least four, repre- four generations. And the overlapping benefit, it's not just a one way where the older is trickling down to the younger. This is like a spider web where they're all benefiting from one another. That's the way God designed it to be. And so uh, the first one is pre recorded because Thomas Haverdink couldn't be here, but he has a great testimony of seeing how what he gained from the relationships that he had within this body are now being lived out as a college student at Texas A&M. So if you'll run that for me, please.
1: Could you talk to me about how you've gotten involved in ministry in college? Yeah. Um, So in college right now, I do um, Grace Kids. Um, So I go to Grace Bible Church, so I do children's ministry there. I'm a college leader there. Um, I get to lead a Bible study um, of fellow college students uh, with my Bible study partner. Um, And then uh, I get to go do campus EV um, every week um, where I just have conversations with people um, and try and um, get to the point of sharing the gospel. How did your relationship with Bruce and your dad influence you to move in that direction in college? Yeah, so um, there were really three major um, things that I saw Um, in Bruce and my dad um, that really um, kind of pushed me um, into college where I am now. Um, So the first one was community. Um, I got to see um, my dad um, really just like focus on community um, and have, um, he had a men's group that he walked through life with um, all the way through my life. Um, And then me, him and my mom um, were both a part of uh, like a community group. And so I just got to see um, that involvement um, and so that kind of grew in me um, a heart for community, um, just seeing that involvement. And then Bruce um, did the same thing. He was involved in a men's group, and then um, him and Stephanie have community group to their part. And so I got to see both of their hearts. Um, and then Bruce, um, really just in my time of discipleship with him, shared his heart for community and a lot of the scripture behind um, community. And so that really um, cultivated in my heart a desire for community. Um, and so as I came into college, Um, I really had a heart for community, and I had really been praying for community. And so um, I found a group of guys um, that I can just be real with and be authentic with. Um, And then I also um, got to be a part of a Bible study um, and get to lead it now. Um, And so um, that's how community. Um, And then leadership um, was the second one. Um, And so I really got to see my dad uh, step up and be a leader um, just as he became a deacon. Um, And then also um, he gets to lead um, an ABF with HUD. Um, and so I just got to see, um, him preparing for those lessons, um, and just how much time and effort and how seriously, um, he took, um, teaching and leading. Um, and so, um, I kind of, um, just like desired to be, um, like him in that way. And so, um, that kind of, uh, grew in me like a desire to be a leader, um, to just kind of, uh, be like him. And so I got to like learn from his, um, example of the way he was living and then Bruce, um, just uh, started leadership in youth group. And so he had all the high schoolers um, leading youth group and leading children's ministry. Um, And so um, I got to see really his heart um, behind that in our discipleship times. Um, And so um, that was really something I didn't get to see in youth group until we met together. um, And he would share um, scripture behind leadership and really why he wanted to do um, leadership and everything that he was doing um, in the youth group. Um, And so that really grew in me a heart um, for leadership Um, and that's kind of why when I came into college like I immediately jumped into Grace Kids I continued that out of high school Um, that's something I could have easily dropped but because of that heart um, that had been cultivated in me um, because of my relationship with Bruce my dad um, really um, made me want to get involved um, in Grace Kids and then when the opportunity to become a leader um, was like offered to me um, because I had that heart I just immediately um, could say yes because I knew that that was something that I wanted to do because of um, their um, influence and getting to see their example. Um, and then the last one is the gospel. Um, I really got to see um, just um, a heart for ministry in um, my parents and in my family. Um, we got to have uh, missionaries over for dinner um, and really just got to hear their conversations with them and um, got to see them um, the way that they just support the missionaries now. Um, and so that really kind of um, showed me the importance of the gospel and how how much it really means to them. Um, and then Bruce, um, really, he started First Priority. And so when we were discipling, um, uh, when like we started our discipleship relationship, um, I got to see the start of First Priority um, in its first year, and really got to hear how it was going. And um, that really led to lots of conversations about the gospel and the brokenness of um, people, um, and really just like. Um, how much uh, we needed the gospel and so um, at that point in time my heart was really not um, super inclined to the gospel and really wanting to go out and share that with people. Um, in my head I thought it was cool but like uh, in my heart I really um, did not want to uh, like go forward and be uncomfortable and share the gospel. And so um, my relationship with Bruce and my dad really just like really softened my heart for that. Um, and so then when I got into college, um, the chance to do EV uh, came up, um, evangelism, um, I just, I said yes, because I, um, my heart had been softened, um, through just seeing the example of Bruce, um, and my parents. How did your relationship with Bruce back up what your parents were teaching you? Um, so, um, my parents really, like, a lot of the lessons, I saw all of these things in my parents, um, but, uh, so much of life happens with them, um, that it really wasn't, like, a super, like, main focus, like, yes, like, Christianity was who we are, um, but you have so much more to life, um, and so, like, it's the center, but it's also not always the focus, and so there's always school and athletics and, um, like, normal everyday life things going on, and so, um, being with Bruce really, um, just, um, he got to focus in on those things and really build those things and, um, build those things up in me, um, and so that's kind of how he got to, like, come alongside me, Um, how are you working to pass on what you've learned and how you've grown? Um, so I get to be an impact counselor. Um, an impact is, um, it starts in the summer um, and it's just a like three day retreat um, with freshmen. Um, and then as a counselor you walk through with, um, I'll have five freshmen guys. Um, I just get to walk through the whole fall semester with them, um, helping them find community. Um, really pushing them to get involved in community. Um, Uh, and they're just their pivotal uh, fall semester in college um, when um, just like so much um, growth can possibly happen and so just walking, getting to walk alongside them Um, and then also uh, I have a relationship with Kolosh and he lives in Lubbock Um, and we just get to talk every week and I get to um, share with him what I'm doing here in college and um, how my life's going Um, and then also get to share my heart um, uh, with everything that's going on um, here in college, and so uh, that's how I'm continuing
0: on what I've learned. Good. isn't that good? <clears throat> so I've asked uh, Michael and Bruce to come up. As they do, uh, two things before I forget: out on the counter are two articles written by two uh, young people in our church. One of them, Michael Ta- or Michael or Thomas Haberdink wrote. The other one, Macy Tap wrote. And they represent a younger generation who has caught the vision from the older generation. And I want you to be reminded as you listen to Thomas's testimony, how many times he said, I saw, I observed, I watched. There was definitely words being spoken, but a lot of the impact that he shared about was things that he observed in the people that he was around. So... I've asked uh, Michael to, he talked a little bit in the beginning, Michael, about community and the impact of community for what he saw growing up. Uh, Unpack that a little bit more in terms of what that looked like for you and your family.
2: Well, when we uh, first came here to Melanie Park, um, Byron Tapp um, invited me to be part of a men's small group, and really that was kind of my first experience with anything like that, and Um, We basically just shared life together, walked through hard stuff in every member's life. I mean, there was lots of encouragement. uh, You know, we studied scripture. We read books. There was expectation that that stuff that we studied and we shared was going to affect change in our lives. And we were held accountable uh, for that uh, through that group. Um, You know, the intent was always to walk away with a deeper and better understanding of who God was and who we were within his plan. Um, and so that that small group, uh, men's small group, that continued throughout the years. I mean, I've been involved in um, men's small groups pretty much ever since that point. Um, uh, you know, through so through that, um, just having that continual community weekly in my in my life, sharing with those men. Just another one that we had started was with you and several other men um, that had young boys. Um, we wanted to cultivate uh, just, you know, uh, desire uh, in those uh, boys' lives. We did that raising a our day, night um, deal, and just I think the really intent is just having the older men there speaking into those boys' lives. But really, for us and with Thomas, just having other men that he could observe their life and have another resource to go to when he had questions, because he may not come to me with everything that's on his heart, but just have some other men that he knew he could share life with and come to. Um, And then kind of the last uh, part, which you had mentioned previously with my mentorship relationship with Bill, that kind of came about through, really, we were at a men's retreat, and the Watermark guys were there. And they were talking through biblical eldership and, and, and what that looked like, and really just struck my heart that, you know, those descriptions in 1 Timothy and Titus are, they're written directly, yes, towards eldership, but it's really a description of what all men's lives need to look like, and I was like, I'm not there, and I don't really know how to get there, and I had been observing Bill's life since he had been been here, and just like, that's a man that I would like to learn some life from. So I had asked him to just mentor, disciple me, and, and we didn't have a real set format. I mean, yes, we studied Scripture and we read books, and he just lived life in front of me and shared his struggles and his life experiences and how he walked with the Lord, and, and we walked up together. So
0: so kind of in that same light, Bruce, in terms of community, Thomas talked about the impact that you had on him and kind of the strengthening of his convictions that he was hearing at home. I'd like for you to speak to how your relationship with Thomas had the same effect on you as a husband and a father in your home.
2: Sure.
3: Um, I just wrote this up here. So, But during Thomas's senior year, we met up once a week, one on one, to see if we could push each other in Christ. During these times, I would share prayer requests with Thomas, and much of my, my prayer requests revolved around being more intentional with my wife and kids. Thomas shared with me how his dad was intentional with him by meeting once a week with him one-on-one and how special that time was. When I was trying to schedule a consistent time with Thomas to meet up one-on-one, and I asked him about it, um, we were looking at a certain day, or I was looking at a certain day, he said, I can't, uh, that time's already taken, that's when I meet with my dad. Right, So pretty sweet. Um, and so Mike and I have also talked about this, too. We've had conversation about this. And he's encouraged me to do one-on-one with my kids. And I can't say I'm consistent with this yet. It's hard with five. <laughs> hard to get that time. Um, but yet, we're striving to make this happen. And I know, I know we are more intentional with it. And I've had some sweet one-on-ones already. So thank you, Thomas. Thank you, Heverdinks. Um, I, I can tell you this about the Heverdinks. They're some of the most highly committed people I know to this church family. Everyone in the family makes this community a priority. I saw this in Thomas, and I believe it, I believe it was because he saw it and heard it at home and at, at this church. Thomas, just an example of that, Thomas was a great swimmer. He was competitive at Lubbock High and in in, in his swim clubs. He, I believe, was a three-time state qualifier, so he's at at the higher level there. And yet, while all the other swimmers were doing their thing on Wednesdays practicing, Thomas did not practice on Wednesdays after school because he wanted to attend our student ministry. And I believe that was something that he saw at home and making that church family and that community a priority. Um, And so the Haverdings, I believe, has set a, a great example for me, for my family, and I think for all of us, of how to be committed to church family.
0: So one of the things I want to point out to you is you see the four generations. Bill Hamilton, the older man who invested in the life of Michael. Michael, investing in the life of Bruce. Bruce, investing in the life of Thomas. And every one of those men will tell you that they received a benefit from the relationship. Whether they were the older or the younger in the relationship, there was benefit in both directions. And I hope you also see that there was initiative taken. I mean, Thomas or Michael at the uh, men's retreat said, "I want to be that man. I'm not there yet. I'm not sure how to get there, but I see it. I observe it being lived out in this man. I'm going to ask him to help me become more like that man." So there's intentionality here. There's purpose. There's effort being made instead of just kind of waiting for it to happen a a real man takes action he's one who steps in and does the hard thing and that's true of all of these stories so one last thing i'd like for you guys to speak to is just how would you encourage other men to enter into a relationship in discipleship and just kind of some of the things that you feel like would be important with that
2: well Not that I was here last week, but I listened to the tape. Same and similar, long, long, the same lines of what Miss Courtney shared. Don't be afraid. I mean, it was scary at first for me to ask Bill. I was like, he's not going to want to do that to me, Mm -hmm. you know? I mean, you know, but yet it was a very fruitful and very blessing relationship, really for both of us. Um, You know, and just, you know, it's, you know, we need relationship in our lives. Um, You know, and it's a hard thing to be vulnerable um, like that. And when it's kind of both ways, um, you know, we realize that we're really not the only one in this world struggling. I mean, like you shared already this afternoon, so this morning. It's just having that willingness to be vulnerable. And um, when we live as an island, I'm just going to, it's easy to go astray. So I mean, you need to have that relationship of other men in your life.
3: Um, I think a big word, and I think um, one of these, I learned this from Byron Tapp, and I see this quite a bit. Um, one big word I remember learning from Byron was intentional. Byron was always very intentional. Um, and so we need to be intentional with this, otherwise it won't happen. It just won't. And I've seen Byron do this um, when he, he would take uh, trips with his boys and girls, with, or not with his boys and girls, with, with Macy and with Pierce. He'd take trips, one-on-one trips. I thought, man, I want to be like that. I want to be that kind of father, that, that kind of intentional. Um, and so we just got to go after it. Also, um, one thing I've heard talked about before is how everyone needs a Paul, a Barnabas, and a Timothy. A Paul is someone who is a little bit more spiritually mature than you. And so someone you can learn from, someone that you can be encouraged by, someone who can set the example for you. So everyone needs a Paul. Everyone needs a Barnabas, and this is someone maybe more spiritually equal with you, an encourager, right? Someone who's going to push you, maybe somewhere, life uh, life age, life path, right, that you could be encouraged by. But we also need Timothys in our lives, someone who's spiritually younger than us that we can be investing and pouring into as well. So the, the encouragement or the challenge, I guess, would be, do you have a Paul, and do you have a Barnabas, and do you have a Timothy in your life? Um, also, I'd like to just to share this, too. Being in student ministry, I first want to encourage men get a, to, to do the Men's Retreat. You know, that's a place to, to start developing these, these relationships, to, to grow in community as men. As, um, I can tell you, I've, uh, one of our last year, uh, Daniel Snell was at our Men's Retreat, and this year he was helping lead in our student ministry. It was because of that Men's Retreat, we got to build a relationship together. And heard uh, of his interest and was someone that Todd was discipling. And got to see him now come alongside uh, come alongside him and see him serving together. My, my, my hope for him was to, to get plugged in to the community even deeper. Um, and so also, if there's any dads out there who have high school sons, I might encourage you to consider bringing your high school son to the men's retreat. Man, what a great place for them to see examples set before them to do life together on that weekend, and just to, to grow together in community and, and in knowledge and love of our Savior. So, um, and last but not least, I was raised in a broken home. Um, I didn't have this model set before me, I did not. But I was so thankful for the, the spiritual daddy and the spiritual mama that got placed in my life. <clears throat> Gets me every time. <laughs> I had a a family take me in at 18. I talk about them a lot when I talk about my testimony. I can't thank God enough for how He put them in my life. There, Paul and Patty Rasmussen. Paul was my spiritual daddy. I got to learn just incredible things from that man, man of integrity. I remember buying. uh, uh, I needed to buy a, a new vehicle, new car. He went with me to go buy this car, and um, the, the guy was saying, hey, I'll, sell it for, I'll just tell you, I'll just tell the, paper, the paperwork that I will sell it for $5, and Paul right away stepped in there and says, no, put the full amount on there. He was trying to save me, you know, paying taxes is what he was trying to do, but Paul said, no, put the full amount on there. We got to give the government its due. We got to give the Caesar his due, right? We got to give the Caesar what's his as well. And so just things like that that I got to see in Paul. You know, just having a meal together around a dinner table. I didn't have that growing up. But the Rasmussen's, his family that took me in, they made that a priority. And it's it's kind of fun. Now I get to do that with my family. You know, no TV on. We sit and eat. It's kind of crazy with five kids. There's food flying everywhere. (laughs) It's all good. (laughs) Um, Anyway, so just thankful for that example set before me. So... There are men and women out there, I'll say this, who need spiritual daddies who don't have this growing up. I'm so thankful that God put those, that spiritual daddy in my life. So.
0: so I think sometimes when we look at a passage in Scripture, we think, gosh, how does this apply to my life? I think over the last two weeks in what we looked at in Titus chapter 2, if you don't have a wealth of application, you weren't listening. Because there is so much to take away from what Titus is being told by Paul and how to live out the truth in everyday relationships. And I want to affirm for us as a church body, the strength of this church is based on the health of the relationships that we have with one another. And sound doctrine is, is what ultimately comes out. You've heard it. You heard it last week. You heard it again this week, that, that sound doctrine and the truth of God's word is established within the context of healthy, discipling relationships. So let's be intentional, to use your word, Bruce, and let's make sure that we, for the name of Christ, for the sake of his body, are intentional about pursuing meaningful relationships with one another. For the praise and glory of his name, amen? Let me pray. Father, thank you so much for the real-life examples of how your truth is being put into practice in everyday life thanks for macy and abby and miss courtney and thank you for michael and bruce and thomas and and even bill hamilton and you know these are just a sample of of examples of things that happen every day in the life of this church but as you often tell us in scripture we can excel still more there are ways in which we can continue to grow and mature and be strengthened by even greater faithfulness in these areas lord so Please, help us take these things to heart. Help us to be intentional. Help us to pursue meaningful relationships for the sake of your body, for the glory of your name. We pray this in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Have a great day.